Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Hitting for the Cycle. I'm your host, Hank and Dichter, and as usual, we pretty much have a lot to talk about, but before I'd like to get into anything else for today, I do want to open this show up by announcing that tonight we will continue to pay a tribute to former Review and Preview host Brian Marbach, who sadly passed away last Friday. Brian hosted Review and Preview for well over three years, and every single show this week we are dedicating to his memory. And I know Tom is he, I know Brian is someone that Tom looked up to a lot. And so make sure to catch our special tribute show for Brian Marbach next week on Tuesday, October 5th at 7 PM as Tom will be joined by Johnny Maltabano, Tom McNamara, among others who will be joining in. And that will be a good show. And I know it'll definitely be a great way to honor Brian's memory as someone who was very dedicated to this program and, Someone I wish I would have gotten to know over the years. I know he had a big impact on Tom, but in any event, let's get to the plugs right now. And in order to watch the tribute episode, I'd like to give you guys a reminder, please give us a follow on all of our forms on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Review and Preview. And of course, please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. That is Review and Preview Sports. And you know what? I think I might as well start off by recapping my team, New York Yankees, but Shortly after, we will have our guest, Noah Dibler, coming on. We will be talking about his Atlanta Braves. And for those of you who recognize Noah, you probably saw him on our most recent episode of Big Blue Avenue. We previewed the Atlanta Falcons. But in any event, let's get to the Yankees and the Red Sox. So, obviously, if there was any one quote that summed up the Yankees season, I think David Cohn summed it up best at the end of the Yankees game against the Texas Rangers when he... He said basically a quote from the movie Godfather. He said, every time you think the season is going to be over, the Yankees somehow find a way to lull you back in. And truer words are not spoken. I mean, I when we ended last episode against Texas Rangers, the Yankees were, tra- excuse me, the Yankees were trailing 2-0. And it looked to be another one of those games where they had a missed opportunity of a series that they should have swept. But fortunately, the Yankees have come back to win that game setting up the big matchup against the Boston Red Sox. And boy, what a series. I mean, I have to say, from a personal standpoint, I had a lot of fun traveling up to Boston, going up to all three games. I should, I must say, going to Fenway is an experience like no other. I mean, it's one of the oldest ballparks in MLB. You got a, There's a lot of stuff to do before the game. There's like a big party-like atmosphere on Yaki Way and a lot of other pregame bars to go to, but 
in any event, Fenway is also cool because there's a lot of history behind it too. Every time you walk through that tunnel, you look at the green monster. It's, it's such a crazy feel. And in the first game of that series, that was the one that admittedly, when I talked to Alec Walt, I was the most nervous about this game because you had Nathan Yavaldi starting this game for the Red Sox. And this is a guy who has consistently had a lot of good games against the Yankees. And Garrett Cole, while he has been obviously our ace and the horse that we have been relying upon for most of the season, he had a clunker against the Cleveland Indians and really didn't know what to expect, whether we'd get the good Cole or the bad Cole. But, you know, we would find out soon after. He would pitch about five-plus innings. The only mistake he really made was the three-run home run that he gave up to Rafael Devers. But he got more than enough run support. In the first inning, they scored three runs. And then Stanton, a few innings later, hit an absolute moonshot. Wouldn't be the last one he hit in that series. It gave the Yankees a 6 nothing lead. It would be seven by the end of the inning. And, you know, the Yankees pretty much had all the run support they needed. They go on to win this one 8-3. to And it was by far one of the more relaxing games of the series because the Red Sox really were never in this game. The Yankees dominated from start to finish. And in a big game like that, hey, this is the reason why the Yankees are paying Garrett Cole all this money to go out and dominate in starts like this. So that was pretty big. And then the second game of that series was another interesting one. Nestor Cortez pitched this one. This is the game I was actually sure the Yankees were going to win. He starts out, he goes about, what, five and two-thirds innings. He only gives up two runs. Well, actually, no. There was only one run that he gave up, like, while on the mound. That was the Kevin Pilecki solo home run. But he did put runners on base in the fifth inning. And, you know, I kind of thought that Aaron Boone made a little bit too much of a premature decision by pulling him early. But then again, that's what managers do. I've, I've ranted about this before. I'm not really that surprised. But at the end of the day, it didn't really matter. Michael King pitched another inning and a third of, of scoreless ball. I mean, he only gave up the one run that he inherited. But otherwise, he and Nestor, com- you combine their efforts. They pitched a total of six and two-thirds solid innings. They gave the, Chank- the Yankees a really good chance to win. And, you know, they got their run finally in a wild pitch. You know, that's happened a lot with the Yankees this year whenever they have runners in scoring position. Sometimes if they don't always get the big hit, you can always rely on them to get that run in with the wild pitch. But, you know, it was what it, it is what it is. They, they got the run. And you, you take whatever you can get. And then you go into the eighth inning where they load the bases. Darwinson Hernandez comes in to pitch to Giancarlo Stanton, and he throws him a 94-mile-per-hour fastball over the heart of the plate that he absolutely launched well over the green monster and into Lansdowne Street. It gave the Yankees a 5-2 lead, and – you know, it was such a surreal moment because created such a big adrenaline rush among the Yankee fans that were in the ballpark. And it pretty much sent Fenway into such a stunned silence. It's one of those, one of those crushing home runs that can really ruin a team season. And the Red Sox, as we know, they, them and the Yankees were going back and forth among, among the wild cards. So this real, to say that this was a playoff like atmosphere was really an understatement of the year. And then, in the ninth inning, Chapman makes things a little bit interesting. He gave the solo home run to Bobby Dalbeck, and then he allowed a base runner. But other than that, he wasn't too bad. He closed down the ninth inning like usual. The Yankees would win the series in that second game, and I couldn't have been happier as I was leaving Fenway Park that night. It was such an amazing atmosphere. But then, of course, that was tempered by the fact 
that you still had the third game of that series to play. The Yankees obviously wanted to win that series, but the fact of the matter is they were still tied in the wild card with Boston at the end of the day. If you, as you can see in the standings, the Yankees are now two games ahead of Boston and I'll get to the Toronto game soon afterward, but they, they had Jordan Montgomery pitching and he, all things considered looked pretty good. The Yankees were trailing three, two going into the go or sorry. They were up two to one going into the bottom of the seventh Boston took the lead. They scored a few runs and that was because there, you had a wild pitch, Joey Gallo and DJ LeMay, who both dropped pop-ups that really came back to hurt the Yankees. Boston would take the lead. And, you know, it was the eighth inning that really stood out to me in this game. Tyler Wade starts off the inning. He's a pinch runner. I think it was Gio Urshela who got on. He, I want to say, no, he walked to get on base. Tyler Wade comes in. They have him as the pinch runner. He gets caught stealing. And it was one of the craziest things I saw because he had that big lead, but then all of a sudden he ended up, he inexplicably didn't slide and he actually slowed down, which I think really hurt him because I think if he had slid into second base, he would have been safe. Yankees would have been in better shape, but at the end of the day, it didn't really matter because it was in the middle of an at-bat where DJ Lomayhew himself walked. So you had one out, a runner on first, Anthony Rizzo comes next. He hits a double into right field. It goes right past Alex Verdugo. Now, this was the play that I really think was the turning point of this game because you know, you had Verdugo throwing to Jose Iglesias, who was playing second for the Red Sox in that inning for defensive reasons. And when you look at the replay of Anthony Rizzo's double, nobody talks about this, but Jose Iglesias made a critical mistake. He had the ball, and and if you look at the highlights of it, Rizzo was halfway between first and second. In other words, he was nowhere near the second base bag, and Iglesias, had he saw where Rizzo was going, he probably could have easily thrown him out. But instead, he throws to the cutoff man, Bobby Dalbeck, who is right near the pitcher's mound. And it represented a missed opportunity that really came back to hurt the Red Sox. Because you, instead of two outs and just a runner on third, and worst case scenario for the Red Sox, a tie game with the next batter. Instead, you have second and third, one out. And now Aaron Judge is up, up to plate. And Aaron Judge has been one of those Yankees that has been really killing it lately. I mean, he comes up, Adam Ottavino's pitching, and remember, Adam Ottavino was on the Yankees in 2020 and 2019, so you knew, going into the season, I thought him pitching to those guys, he would be very familiar with the Red Sox lineup, but he makes a, there are a few things that happen in this at bat. Number one, Aaron Judge, it's a pop-up. Bobby Dalbeck's trying to catch it. He thinks there, it seems to me like he's afraid of, like, hitting into the foul netting by the first base dugout. But then he he misjudges the fly ball. He drops it and another pitch to extend the at-bat. And then not long afterwards, you have two strikes. Judge swings and misses. It looks like it's going to be strike three, or so we thought. Because as it turned out, Tristan Vasquez had the ball in his glove. But then looked like he was transferring into his hands and it appeared to be a drop through a drop third strike or the umpire must've thought it was a foul tip. So he gave judge another chance and he ruled a foul ball. Now I heard so many Red Sox fans calling and arguing and whining and complaining that that should have been two outs end of the inning. But here's the big picture. When you look at, really look at it, there are a few, there are a few things wrong with this. Number one, all Vasquez had to do was just squeeze the ball 
Maybe the umpire doesn't see any drop or transfer at bat over. Number two, Bobby Dalbeck should have caught that, as mentioned. So, in other words, the Red Sox, if I were to play devil's advocate, you could argue that it was probably Vasquez's fault for not holding on the ball. However, I also do want to point out, there's a such a thing as a manager's challenge. Alex Cora could have easily gotten up and challenged to the umpire, hey, you got to take a look at this set, strike three. And, you know, maybe they would have overturned it. But nope, he doesn't. he does not do anything about it. He just sits there in the dugout. And at the end of the day, you can cry all you want about Joe West's strike three call, but it's their loss. They, di- they didn't use that challenge. So that enabled Aaron Judge on the next pitch to hit a double to straightaway center field, driving in both runs and to make matters worse for the Red Sox, but even better for the Yankees. John Carl Stanton's up and why you would even pitch to him with a runner on second, I don't know, but you would think that it, that, Ottavino from his time with the Yankees would know better than to throw him a fastball rather than to know, throw him a slider outside rather than a fastball, because anyone who's watched the Yankees knows they swung a lot of those outside sliders and it's been strike three, but no, he throws a similar pitch that Hernandez threw the night before and Stanton hit it in the exact, almost the exact same spot over the monster into Lansdowne. It gave the Yankees a six to three lead. They got the sweep over the Red Sox and it put them at number one for a wild card spot, which is huge because if the season would have ended after that game, the, the wild card game would have been in the Bronx in front of a loud and raucous crowd at Yankee Stadium. And for the Red Sox, it's a missed opportunity because to, even without the bad call, there, there were still four mistakes that I just talked about that they made in that inning. They have nobody to blame for the sweep, but themselves. But in any event, they've got a series of the Orioles coming up, which is already off to a rough start because they lost the first game of that series four to two. And in addition to that, the Yankees had all have already won the first game of their Toronto series. They were up three to two. Giancarlo Stan hit another moonshot in the seventh inning. And he has hit a total of, so in the, in the Boston series, he hit three home runs and drove in 10 and 10 more. He had another home run driven three runs. He has been absolutely unbelievable in the stretch and he's been carrying the Yankees. And, you know, that's what they wanted when they traded for his contract, a guy who can come up big in clutch situations. Now, can this trans translate into October? I don't know, but we'll see what happens. I'm hoping he keeps us up. I have been pleasantly surprised and, yeah, a lot, a lot of good things have happened to the Yankees. And if you look at the bottom on this ticker, they are currently two games ahead of the Boston Red Sox for the top spot. Don't look now, but the Seattle Mariners have got won nine of their last 10 games. They've also won 11 straight over the Oakland A's. They have actually leapfrogged the Toronto Blue Jays with their win and Toronto's loss. So now the wild card gets even crazier and there's a whole cluster right there. So I, I think that's been the most the craziest of all the playoff races as of now. But speaking of crazy playoff races, you have the NL East, which is down to the Braves and the Phillies. It's the last year. It's the second to last series of the year. And you know who better to talk about this series than a guy who I had on big blue Avenue just last week, Noah Dibler. Noah, how's it going? Did I pronounce your name right? By the way, you did, man. A, a very surprising. A lot of people don't, but you did a good job. And, uh, 
Thanks for having me, man. It was nice being on the show last week, and uh, I'm ready to talk about the Braves as well. Yeah, man. It seems like we uh, we couldn't get rid of you last week. Might as well talk some playoff baseball. Now, first things first, as I talk about the Atlanta Braves, we know first place they had a lot of bad breaks going their way. You lost Ronald Acuna to a horrible ACL injury, and I'm sure you must have probably been thinking season was over at the first half because that that's not an easy loss. Oh, for sure, man. You know, we've got off to a really poor start, but Acuna was, you know, off to an MVP level start, I'd say. Um, and, you know, I saw it from the very beginning. A lot of Braves fans instantly thinking because we got off to a poor April, poor May, the season was over. And I was kind of saying to them, you know, give it until the all-star break, see what they're doing. And if they're still struggling, then, you know, sure. Um, and it got to the all-star break. We were still, you know, hovering around below 500, trying to get there, but couldn't quite get there or get above it. And then, of course, you know, arguably our best player, Ronald Cunha, is out for the season. And at that point, you know, I will admit, Hank, I was kind of like, yeah, that's probably season over because at that time the Mets still looked like a really good team. Um, You know, DeGrom was still healthy. They were on fire Um, a few weeks later. You know, they go and pick up Baez at the deadline, stuff like that. They looked like they were finally, you know, going to get over that second half hump. Um, And I even told Tom, who, you know, we both know a big Mets fan, I said, hey, You know, I, I've hated on you guys a lot in the past few years for, you know, getting off to a good start and then and falling, falling off the stretch. But I think you guys are legit this year. And what do you know? Once again, it, it happens to them again. I think that team is honestly cursed. I don't know how. It just happens every single year for them. The second half, they really struggle. And, you know, we're I, I know we're going to talk about what the turning point of the Braves season was. But that second half of July, the trade deadline, all that, I think really marked – their season and you know they've done a lot of it like you said without Acuna they've also done all of it without Mike Soroka who when healthy when healthy is their best pitcher um just has you know really poor injury record unfortunately but yeah it's very surprising I mean they've been red hot since I'd say the second half of July August definitely um and finally gotten over 500 and then got a you know a bit of a comfortable lead in the east right now I'm sure we're going to get into the Philly series you know big win last night um, the game, second game, game two is starting right about now, I think. So that's going to decide our season because the NL wild card race is just absolutely insane. I know you're going to talk about it a little later with the Cardinals and all that, but we got to win our division, man. The NL is really tough. So the guy who drove in the t- both runs in that game, it was Jorge Soler. He had yep. two RBI single, only two run, really the only two runs you needed because they kept the Phillies at bay up until the ninth. Came down to my guy, Diego Gregoris, who – Fun fact, happened to be one of my old favorite Yankees. He ends up hitting a sacrifice fly. He drove in the only Phillies run, and they had guys on base, but Freddie Galvis struck out. So you must have been breathing a big sigh of relief after that. And now with that win, the Braves' magic number is now down to three. So in other words, if you win this game tonight, the mag- you're going to do no worse than a tie for first place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this series is absolutely massive. Our last one is against the Mets, so you know we could you could hope we could do something well there. Um, but yeah, as I mentioned, you know, you just mentioned Jorge Soler, another trade deadline acquisition type guy, mainly known as a power hitter. I remember a few seasons ago for the Royals, I think he hit something like forty eight home runs and led the American League. Um, but last night, you know, in, in a tough pitching duel, Charlie Morton had a great game as well. I think it was seven scores with ten strikeouts. All we needed were a few runs, and he got a you know a, a clutch two RBI single. Um, Freddie Freeman had a good game as well, getting on base two times, I believe. Um, it's been a weird season for the Braves. You know, they've tried to make a lot of changes to the outfield, but one thing I will say is their infield has been very stable. 
um, with Riley, Swanson, Albies, and Freeman um, carrying the load basically for his offensively the entire season. I saw a stat um, about a week ago, I think it was, that if uh, Dansby Swanson reaches 30 home runs, they become the first infield in MLB history where all four members have hit 30 home runs, which I thought which I thought was a very interesting stat, very surprising stat. Um, but but Dansby, he's kind of a streaky player, so I don't know if he's going to you know hit three more home runs in the last five games, but yeah, I've been impressed with the resolve they've shown. You know, where pretty much everyone was probably counting them out, myself included, at some at one point. Um, now I will say it does help the Mets obviously collapse, and the Phillies I think are a bit inconsistent. But I mean, when you're when you're doing it without you know two of easily two of your best players, you know you're, you're plugging gaps and all that. Um, they weren't helped as well by the fact Marcelo Zuna basically got suspended for the entire year for his incident. They had to fill that gap as well. Um, they've done a good job, and I got I got to give our GM Alex Anthopoulos a lot of credit. Um, he's done a good job, basically, you know, patching up the team when it's been in disarray at points. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned the Mets and their second half collapse, and I'll give a not so fun fact to our Met fan friends who are probably watching and listening to us right now. The Mets actually have have a record for the most days in first place in a yep. season without winning it. I believe it was 109, which would also mean it's probably the most amount of days spent in a season in a year where they end up finishing below 500. So that's not what you want. And, you know, I happen to agree with you. I thought the Mets were going to be a serious contender. I mean, granted, I didn't think they were going to win the division year one of the Steve Cohen era, because obviously you know how the saying goes. Rome wasn't built in a day, but at the same time, when you really look at what the Mets, what happened in the Mets, it, it was really a combination of a lot of players underperforming, but most most damaging was obviously the Jacob deGrom injury. I think mm-hmm. once Jacob deGrom suffered that injury, you knew their season was heading for a downward spiral because that's not somebody that you just replace like that. I mean, Taiwan Walker didn't do well in the second half because I don't think I think him not having the support of a Jacob DeGrom really didn't help him. And then you look at the other pitchers like Marcus Stroman, who's kind of been all right the second half. And then all the other guys, it's that's a big blow. But yeah. with that being said, I think the Braves did. I think you're right. Anthopolis did a really good job. Jorge Soler, well, you never want to really say he replaced a guy like Ronald Acuna. At least he's he's doing well production-wise in the lineup, which is really what you want. And Adam Duvall's been providing some pop, too, with the bat. No, he's, like, now at 40 home runs. Yeah, no, I mean, you can never replace a player like Acuna, in my opinion. Unbiasedly, when he's healthy, he's easily one of the top three outfielders in the entire MLB. Um, You know, sucks he had that injury. But the guys we we traded for at the deadline or around the deadline um, have really helped. You know, you mentioned Duvall and Solaire. We also traded for Eddie Rosario and Jock Peterson. Four outfitters right there that we brought in basically to kind of um, plug the hole, I guess you could say, of Acuna and Azuna both not being on the team. And, you know, they've had some moments where we they've really helped. You know, Jock's hit a few home runs. Eddie Rosario has had a few really good um, defensive plays where Will Smith is in the ninth and kind of struggling, doesn't have his A game. But then, you know, Rosario makes a good catch and all that. We escape a, a really close game that we need. Um so, yeah, I mean, it, it's obviously not ideal to have Acuna out, but when he's back next season, if, if they can keep, you know, the core of this team around and maybe add a few guys, they're going to be even better. Um, you know, it, it feels like years ago already, but people do have to remember this team last year was one game away 
from a World Series appearance. And right. no no disrespect to the Rays, but I think if the Braves make the World Series, I think they could have beaten the Rays. Um, they just completely blew that Dodgers series, which, you know, I'm still upset about. But, look, I, from where they were five years ago, clearly rebuilding, they're a very good team now, and they've shown even without two of their best players, they can still compete and win a division. Granted, you know, as we mentioned, the division has been in a bit of disarray this year. Um, but, I mean, nothing has really gone their way the entire year, and yet they found a way to, you know, not only get above 500, but start to extend a division lead, which if you told me they were going to do that two and a half months ago, I'd say you're living fantasy land. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I think another person that deserves a lot of credit for what the Braves have been doing is probably Brian Snitker, because you really look at what, what's gone on this year. Like a lot of managers, you know, I think it really says a lot about a manager when he keeps his team in these games and in all these series, even without all these injuries. And, when, and when you really look at it, as I said, losing Acuna would really damage most teams' playoff chances, and and Soroka, too. Well, what's your take on the job that he's done? Look, I've always liked Brian Snicker. You know, I know he's a bit of a polarizing guy among Braves fans, but I think from where he started and the team was, you know, not very good at all. Um, you know, we had Freddie Gonzalez as our past manager. You could tell he was, you know, way past it. Um, Snicker came in. He, he inherited a team that wasn't good. Um, you know, they were still rebuilding and I got to give him a lot of credit. You know, I think he's been a reason for the, the upsurge we've had, if you will. Now I will admit he has some faults. I think he's, he, he's very loyal to his players, which is not necessarily a bad thing all the time, but when a guy is struggling or whatnot, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of Braves fans don't like how inconsistent Will Smith is, um, you know, he, he, he sticks with his guys, you know, basically. He doesn't make changes that he doesn't feel comfortable with, which, you know, I do respect a bit. Um, that said, you know, it, it can turn a lot of fans off because they think he's stubborn, you know, he's not the right guy for the job and all that. But, you know, the thing I'd say to that is if you ask Braves fans four or five years ago if they could be one game away from the World Series, would they take that? And I think they'd say absolutely. And I have to give, you know, a bit of portion of credit for that to Brian Snicker. I think most of it is, I think Anthopolis has done a great job for us. Um, but I got no problems with Snicker. I like him, you know, do I think he's a, an elite level manager? Probably not, but I think he's a good manager. I think the players love him as well, which you cannot understate. That's very important. I think he's very popular with the guys in the dugout, the locker room and all that. Um so I got no problems with him. I, I think he's a good manager, and um, I think a lot of the criticism or whatnot that he gets is unwarranted considering <laughs> we're leading our division without two of our best players once again. I mean, how much can you really complain about the job he's doing? Well, I mean, hey, it just goes to show you, being a manager is really one of the more thankless jobs in the MLB. I, and it's this is especially true if you look at all the teams in the Northeast, like you got Aaron Boone being blamed. Some warranted, some not necessarily, but then you also have guys like Luis Rojas who's being criticized. It's just, that's just how it is. But I want to get to a few of the comments here. Marty joins, says, Skoos, how's it going, Marty? Good to see you. And uh, John Rankin, John Rankin says, hi, how's it going, JR? For I just want to give you guys a little heads up. If you guys want to comment and interact with us during our little discussion about the Atlanta Braves and baseball, please feel free to do so. Check the comment section below and I would, I would be more than happy to hear any thoughts that you guys might have to share with us on this good day. And uh, your friend Zach Tucker goes chop on. Hell yeah, man. Chop on, baby. Go Braves. Now, this wouldn't be a Braves discussion if I wasn't mentioning the guy who won the Most Valuable Player Award for you guys. Yes. That's Freddie Freeman. He's hitting 300, 31 home runs, 82 RBIs, 
in a normal season like this, he fought off a pretty good one last year, albeit in a shortened 60 game season. What would, would you say that he has a strong case for winning the NL MVP? And if you think he should, I want to hear what you have to say regarding that. It's a really tough call, Hank, because I think, you know, players like uh, Bryce Harper, you know, Tatis, Juan Soto have had really good seasons. Um, I definitely think he has a case, though. I don't think he's going to win it, nor do I think he should be the favorite, mainly because I think he got off to a really slow start, which is really uncharacteristic for him, to be honest. Um, But the past, you know, I'd say since uh, late June, in fact, I got his game logs up. I'm going to do a few stats in a moment. But since late June, he's easily been one of the players the best players in the National League and the MLB overall. Um, and, you know, I've always been of the opinion for as long as I've watched the Braves that Freddie Freeman has, has been our best player. And, look, I, I know Acuna is the rage and all that, but you still have to give respect to a guy that, you know, you mentioned did win the National League MVP last year. Granted, it, it was a shortened season, but, I mean, he was still the favorite. And, honestly, I don't even think it was close last season. He was the MVP. Um, and this year, I'd say for the second half, he's easily like a top three candidate. But you do have to consider the fact, um, and I'm going to start listing off the stats I mentioned, he did not get above a 250 average, which I consider to be around average for an MLB player. He did not get above that mark and stay above it until June 23rd. Um, so you, it, it did take him a while to start to get to that level. Um, but since uh, June 23rd, Hank, his numbers, I got him up right here, uh, 350 average, 982 OPS, 15 home runs, 42 RBIs, 70 runs. Since June 23rd, Hank, absolutely phenomenal the second half of the season he has had. But like I mentioned, he did get off to a slow start. So I think, I think, I don't know for sure. I mean, they might throw a wild card in there. But from all the media reports I've been reading and all that and the stats I'm looking at, I think Bryce Harper will win it because, sure, the Phillies aren't in a great position. But if you look at his stats, 1.050 OPS is phenomenal. He's hitting 311 with a 433 OP, OBP, excuse me. 34 home runs. Um, he also has a lot, a lot less plate appearances than some other players. Like Freddie Freeman is leading the entire league in plate appearances. So I think that's where some of his numbers come from. Bryce Harper, I think, on a at-bat by at-bat basis, is putting up the best numbers. So, yes, I think Freddie Freeman has a case. I think Austin Riley also has a case. that We have to we should mention that as well. But I think Bryce Harper probably will win the MVP. And then I'm not going to complain because even though I absolutely despise this team and I don't particularly – like him as a player either because he plays for that team. He's a phenomenal player and he's put up the stats. I think he will win MVP and, you know, I'd have to begrudgingly say it's deserved. Yeah. I, I would happen to, to agree with you. I think this is probably Bryce Harper's best season since he was acquired by the Philadelphia Phillies. And, you know, when you look at the Phillies, like I look at them as a team that's really underachieved. Like you look at their pitching rotation, you look at their lineup, this is a team that really should have been better than 81 and 76. But then you remember they have a historically bad bullpen. I mean, remember this was the same team whose bullpen was probably would, would have been the worst in their history if they didn't have such a stink bomb bullpen in the 1930s. So, you know, it really says something, but you know, I also got to give credit to one of my old favorite managers and Joe Girardi. Like, yeah, what you want about the job that he does. He always seems to get the most out of his squads. And for me, I know for as a Yankee fan, that was obviously true when he was here in the Bronx, even though we only ended up winning one world championship. But in any event, I think definitely the Phillies have been one of the more inconsistent squads and really been a team that's grinded my gears. But as for Freddie Freeman, like 
like you said, I think you definitely bring up a good point. I know Harper might have had the better numbers. And I think if Freddie Freeman had the better start, he probably would be right in that conversation too. But with that having been said, he's doing exactly what you want out of your first baseman or like at least a guy who you look at as your best player. I mean, from what you're telling me, he's carrying this team without him. There is no way that they're in first place. And for me, I personally, if I base it on like who is like with team success, I would give it to Freeman just for that sheer fact that he he is helping his team win a lot of games. But at the same time, I think Bryce Harper without him, the Phillies probably aren't even above 500. So I don't really think there's a wrong answer in this argument, the more I really think about it. But we want, I want to get some more comments here. I think Zach says Harper will win because of name recognition. I happen to agree with Zach right there. And uh, my buddy Dom Daniele has a question. He goes, do the Braves have the best infield in all of baseball? And it's funny that he should ask that because I was talking to, with him about this in our own separate group chat outside of the show. And, you know, the more I think about it, Austin Riley, Freddie Freeman, Ozzie Albies, that's loaded. It is. And, you know, I was actually just thinking of of this before the show, you know, seeing what people thought about it. Um, you know, like I did mention that stat earlier where if if Swanson did reach 30 home runs, they'd be the first infield in all of MLB history to ever do that, which I thought was a remarkable stat. Uh, to me personally, trying to be un- unbiased as possible, I think it's between two teams. I think the Braves are one. I think just how how stable that infield has been the entire season and productive as well. Uh, I mean, you have two guys in the top 10 in OBS in the National League in Freddie Freeman and Austin Riley, who I didn't always like Austin Riley. I always thought he was, you know, a bit a bit of a one of those boomer bust players, you know, hits a lot of home runs but strikes out a ton. But I have to give him credit. He, he's really worked on that this season. Um, and, I mean, always speaks for himself. Swanson, inconsistent player, but, he, you know, he's good defensively and all that. He just needs to become more consistent offensively. He's a very streaky player. Um but I'd say they're one. I think you also have to give respect to the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. I mean, not just because of their um, insane winning streak they're going on. Paul Goldschmidt, at his best, is still an elite-level first base, but I know he hasn't looked like that for a few years now. But at his best, and we've seen on their winning streak, when he gets hot, he he can still, you know, mash him with anybody. Um, Nolan Arenado, in my opinion, is the best third baseman in all of baseball. You know, he doesn't – he do, you know, he doesn't have to put up those insane 300 batting average numbers with home runs, which he can do, but he's also easily the best defensive third baseman in baseball, so you have to count for that as well. And then I really love Tommy Edmond and um, Paul DeYoung as well, just personally big fans of them. So I'd say it's between the Braves and Cardinals. Unbiasedly, I'd probably give the edge to the Cardinals because I think, you know, if Goldie and Arenado are at their best, I mean, they're just phenomenal players. But I think the Braves are right in that conversation, which, you know, a few years ago probably wouldn't say because, you know, they had some question marks at third base, you know, people wondering what Swanson would be as well. So to be right in that conversation, I'm very happy with. They've definitely, like you mentioned, Hank, Freddie Freeman leading the way, carrying the load. Uh, The infield has started to carry, you know, our offensive load for the season, which, you know, problems in the outfield, you know, you you guys stepping up in the infield, you love it. You You love to see, you know, guys picking up the slack. And not that our outfit has done, you know, terrible, but like I said, they're, they're, it's basically a patchwork outfit, just putting guys in to see what they can do. Um, I've been really impressed with the infield the entire year. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think another team you probably could have made the argument for before the season would have been the San Diego Padres. I mean, you had Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis, as we mentioned, and Eric Hosmer, and Jake Cronenworth's a pretty underrated player, unfortunately. Yeah, I love him. That team 
wow, what did they crash and burn? Like, yeah. I really thought that team, I, I never, th- I didn't really buy into the hype that they were going to overtake the Dodgers for that division. I mean, look, as great of a job as they did in the offseason, getting Snell and getting Musgrove and getting, oh, what's you Darvish, like on paper, that, on paper, they should have at least been neck and neck with the Dodgers. But hey, at, at the end of the day, that's why they play the games. And, you know, when you look at the, the, and when you look at the root of what's been the Padres problem, the big pitchers that they got underachieved and you know, where the Padres, the Padres, I think are ranked right at or near the bottom in terms of National League pitching. And so that's a great reason as to why they had a really bad second half of the season, why they pretty much will be ending the season with almost the similar win total as the New York Mets. And, you know, not, not a great, not a great year for them, but, Speaking of the Cardinals, my boy Andy Hopper's coming into the into the comments. Andy, how's it going? He's just ch- checking in to say, "Let's go Cardinals, 17th straight, baby." Yeah, we were just praising your Cardinals not too long ago. Not not because of the win streak, but as we mentioned, the Cardinals. I think when it comes down to it, I think it's really a toss up between the Braves and the Cardinals. But I might have to give the edge to the St. Louis Cardinals just for the sheer fact that you know, like you said, Nolan Arenado is probably as close to a Mike Schmidt during our lifetime. Yes, we can. And really, I don't like comparing anybody to Mike Schmidt because he's, in my opinion, the greatest third baseman in baseball history, but you've got the, he's got the power and he's got the glove. Like you don't see too many third basemen like that. And not to mention Paul Goldschmidt, while he might not have gotten off to the best start this year, he's given them stability at first base. And as we mentioned, DeJong and Edmund, extremely deep and it's a great reason as to why they've been winning so many games in a row and he also says i don't want to take credit for this win streak but i said on this show that is true he did say that he appeared on the show actually about two or three weeks ago we had him on as for like a pre-recorded segment and the cardinals were like right around neck and neck with the cincinnati reds i believe they had won a game at if Andy, if I remember correctly, I think you were on on the show right as the streak began. So it's really crazy how much can change over the course of a few weeks. And I guess you could say the same with my team, although they've been having a roller coaster season. But that's a story for another day. And he also mentions Tyler O'Neill has been saying, "Yeah, Tyler O'Neill, in my eyes, I think has been probably the unsung hero for the Cardinals during their run." Now back to the Braves for a second. Another another thing that we haven't talked about. Even without Soroka, your pitching's been pretty solid. Groundshock is a really good, experienced, big-game pitcher. We saw it with the Tampa Bay Rays. And, you know, Max Freed, I've been looking at his numbers. He's been absolute money in the second half. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've always thought Max Freed was a good pitcher. I think I just think he was kind of overshadowed by Mike Soroka. Um but you have to look at his stats, you know, not just for this year, Hank. Last season, I mean, he had a 1.09 OBP, 2.25 ERA. Now, granted, it was only 56 innings pitched, but, you know, my, my, Max Fried, excuse me, you know, putting up good numbers is nothing new to me. I think the reason more people are noticing it is because, like we mentioned multiple times, Soroka has been out for basically the entire season. Um, he's basically got more of the spotlight, had to carry more of the load. And, you know, he's continued to pitch well with that 1.11 whip and a 3.12 ERA. And one thing I will say about Max Reed, and I don't usually mention this because, you know, I'm not a big fan of pitchers hitting. 
but he's a really good hitting pitcher as well, which you have to account for as well in the National League. Um, so I, he's, I've been really impressed with him as well. I've also been really impressed with Charlie Morton. Like I mentioned earlier last night, he was basically the reason we won that game. I mean, opportune defense, but he just shut down the Phillies offense. And he's been good the entire season as well. If I get his numbers up uh, really quick, he has a 1.05 whip, which is even lower than Max Fried in 3.39 ERA, 14-6 and six record. So, you know, for a guy that we signed as a free agent, I believe we just recently extended him as well. Um, very solid pitcher as well. And, the, you know, the problem I've always had with the Braves has been that they have good pitching. You know, I really like Yanoa as well, a really young pitcher. Ian Anderson, you have to mention mm-hmm. him as well. Um, yes, that's another good one. But the problem with the Braves has been their bullpen for several years. And even though, you know, I'm, I'm still not completely sold on everyone, I think Chris Martin is terrible. He just needs to get off this team. Um, Will Smith is inconsistent, but he does have 36 saves, so you do have to give him some credit. Um, but Luke Jackson, I mean, this is a guy that has been really inconsistent the past few years. You know, a guy kind of on Braves fans' chopping block, a 1.90 ERA as a reliever in 61 innings with a 1.18 whip, really solid Definitely wasn't expecting that from him before the season. Matzik and Mentor as well have been good for us. Edgar Santana, uh, Jesse Chavez. We did also trade for Richard Rodriguez from the Pirates at the deadline. Hasn't played a ton, um, but, you know, that that's a good pickup as well. So I think if the bullpen can do their part, Hank, uh, I have no problems with their rotation. I've always thought that was, you know, definitely our strength in pitching over the bullpen. Um, with the offense, if they can, you know, if the infield can keep doing their thing, um, I'm not saying they're going to win the World Series or anything like that, but I think they'll be a tough play at the least, um, especially for, you know, like I said, multiple times, missing their two best players or two of their best players. Um, guys like Freed and Morton have really picked up the load, um, probably more than we could expect, to be honest. Yeah, true. And, you know, going to the playoffs, I know you guys aren't really going to be fit being picked a lot to win the World Series. I mean, they have – 84 and 72 record as we speak. By the way, they're up one nothing over the Phillies right now. Austin Riley hit an RBI single. I have my MLB game day app always on my screen. Just like, love to get some little score updates as I talk. And unfortunately, my Yankees are also down 3 nothing as we speak. But in any event, the Braves aren't really going to be looked at as one of the top teams in the National League. But when you really think about it, that might not necessarily be a bad thing. I mean, if you look at history throughout the MLB playoffs, there's been a lot of serious underdogs that have gone on to make make some big runs go on to win world series and stuff like that do you see that as a bit of an advantage for the atlanta braves and i'll tell you another advantage they have before before i let you answer that question they should be thanking their lucky stars that you know regardless of who wins that series they've got somewhat of a better path because at least they'll be playing the milwaukee brewers who granted are going to be pretty much a force to begin with they don't have to face the hot, red hot St. Louis Cardinals, and they also don't have to face one of the two, whoever comes out of the NL West, too. So there's that. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it is really tough when you say, hey, at least to be playing Milwaukee, who I think has just clinched their division. Um, I also saw that uh, Devin Williams broke his hand by punching a wall. Not sure what, what he's doing there. I mean, good pitcher, but um, clearly not all there. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, they have pretty much no expectations. I think if, like I said, if Acuna and Soroka were there, it would be completely different. They would have a, a bit of um, expectation to at least win a few rounds and compete. Because they don't, I think they're kind of seen as an outside team, and I understand why. Um, you know, we're probably going to win our division, but it's not a very good division. Like you said, I mean, the NL West, the Giants and Dodgers, one of those teams is not going to win that division. It's just, that's just – 
crazy to me. I mean, they could legitimately both win 100 games. They have that good of teams. Um, you mentioned the Padres earlier. I think the problem for them was um, it looked like they were going to get Scherzer and Trey Turner, and it, it actually failed for them, and they went to their biggest rival. I think that just described their season in a nutshell. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it's going to be really tough, obviously. You know, the Cardinals, don't count them out as well. Never count out a hot team going into the playoffs. They can do anything. Remember 2011 where they picked as a bona fide favorite to win against the Rangers? No, but they got it done under a severe um, adversity. So I don't expect a lot, you know, but that said, if they're a dark horse, you know, that they, they may be knocked out, out a team no one expects them to do, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I just would not expect it because, you know, they, they do have a lot of injuries. Uh, there are a lot of better teams as of now. Now, if they get all the guys back, I, I, I'd expect them mm-hmm. to be one of the top NL teams again. Uh, but at the moment, I mean, you mentioned the Brewers, Cardinals, <laughs> Dodgers, Giants. The NL is just loaded, man. I mean, it's just absolutely insane. Um, whoever wins the East, and I think it probably will be us, but whoever does, um, they're going to have a tough time, I think. Yeah, I really agree. I think – like I said, Milwaukee is going to be a tough challenge, but at the very least, you don't have to worry about the Cardinals if by if somehow they get past either the Dodgers or the Giants, although that's looking more like it's going to be the San Francisco Giants at that point. And as I mentioned, the affirmation, the aforementioned Giants and Dodgers, you probably you won't have to deal with unless, say, you win that first round. But Obviously, you've got to win that round first. And uh, by the way, another score update, you're now up 2-0 after one inning. So pretty good start. It looks like at the end at the end of the night, you will be able to do no worse than a tie for first place. So that's pretty good. And, you know, let's talk a little bit about the St. Louis Cardinals again, because, you know, that team, I don't know how they did it. I mean, granted, you look at them on paper. That infield has been absolutely their strong suit of the season. Pitching, while they lost Flaherty for a good stretch of time, still getting good starts from Adam Wainwright, who, funny, I'm going to I'm gonna make fun of Andy for telling me on my show a couple weeks ago that they need to, or not a few weeks ago, but like way back in like, say, late May, that they shouldn't be relying on 40-year-old Adam Wainwright <laughs> when the Cardinals have been doing just that, and it's actually been helping them. And they've even gotten productive starts from Jay Happ and John Lester. And that's a team, if they if if they somehow rode the magic of their 17-game win streak and found a way to be able to beat the Dodgers or the Giants in that wild card and send that 100-win team home after one game, that would be crazy, but I would not be surprised at all. How about you? No, absolutely not. I mean – I thought most of the season the Cardinals were actually underachieving. I thought they should have won the NL Central. Um, but, you know, you have to give them credit. They finally started to get on a win streak. I believe when it started, the Cardinals were something like 71-69, and 69, hovering around 500, 17 straight now. So, you know, looking pretty good bet uh, to win the win a wild card spot. But, I mean, I mentioned him earlier, Arenado is a phenomenal elite player. Goldschmidt at his best is still elite. Edmund, um, DeYoung. Also, I like some of their outfitters. You know, I, I think Andy mentioned O'Neill. I also really like Harrison Bader, really solid, you know, base stealing, good yes. defensive uh, center fielder. And look, Wainwright, I know he may be like 48 years old, but I've always loved him. Just a really solid pitcher. Never been, you know, a, a top tier elite guy for a consistent amount of time, but just always really solid, does his job. Um, former Brave as well. I have to mention that. I really wish they kept him, but. Um, Really excited that he's still producing uh, for the Cardinals. Flaherty, when he's healthy, I mean, I think is a top-ten pitcher in the league. 
And, yeah. you know, the, they've gotten good performances from guys you wouldn't expect. Like you mentioned, um, John Lester, Jay Happ, you know, these veteran guys. Um, Giovanni Gallego. As well. Hold on. I He's early season. Yeah, Gallegos has been really good. They At one point they had Alex Reyes was in the closers role, but then he had a hiccup. And, yeah, that's it's funny you should mention that because for a while into their season, bullpen was one of their weak points. And, again, you can look at our at the last episode that we recorded, recorded together. The one thing that was driving Andy nuts was that bullpen. They had a pretty high ERA, and they were walking a lot of guys, which – is pretty disturbing and something you really don't want out of your team come October. But then again, you never know. Sometimes I've noticed there've been some teams whose bullpen has been kind of shaky during the regular season. Sometimes they just go on to dominate in the postseason. It's, it's an area for a team that really can fluctuate if you really think about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I knew before this year, I thought Gagos was a good pitcher. I didn't think he was 0.870 whip good. So he's been phenomenal for them. If their pitching does well you, and with the offense they have, and <clears throat> obviously, you know, we mentioned the infield and all that, um, they can go on a run. And I have to say as well, I've just always had a soft spot for the Cardinals. I think they represent everything that's good about baseball, how they operate that organization. Um, probably my second favorite team if I had one. I just really respect what they're all about. To me, they're kind of like the Pittsburgh Steelers of the MLB with how they operate just um, – you know, consistently, consistency, you know, they demand excellence. Um, but they, just, I just think they do things the right way. So I really hope they do well. Um, if the Braves get knocked out, I hope they, you know, go on a run because um, just really have always respected that organization a lot. Even when they knocked us out a few years ago, I said, hey, go go ahead and win the World Series. I wouldn't mind. That'd make us look even better. Um, so, you know, it's only 10 years ago they won a World Series. They know how to win. Um, that organization has a winning history. So, um, do not count them out at all. If they if they keep on this hot streak in the playoffs, you never count out a hot team going in the playoffs because they can surprise anybody. That is very true. I and now before I end the show, I do want to ask you out of curiosity, what is your? I do want to see what is your World Series prediction. <sighs> oh my God, that's really tough. I haven't thought about it. Um, I mean, realistically, I'm still probably going to pick the Dodgers to represent the NL in the World Series. I think their roster is just absolutely stacked. I do love what the Giants have done this year, you know, surprise team in the season. But I think the Dodgers just have a little bit more of that championship pedigree, championship experience and all that. So I'd probably pick them to represent the NL. The AL is tough, man. I mean, you know, we'll talk about your Yankees first. How inconsistent they have been, but and yet they're they're going to make the wild card, it looks like. Um, if they get it going, their offense can compete with anybody. I, I just question their pitching, to be honest with you. How's their pitching going to do in the playoffs? Um, so we'll see about that. It, it is really tough. I mean, maybe the Astros, but I still have some questions about them. Oh, man. The AL is a lot tougher to predict, I think, because I think with the NL, you know, there's some really good teams, but you probably expect the Dodgers to be the favorite. Um, the Rays, I'm not sure if they're going to go back to the World Series again, but they do have a really good roster. In my opinion, and it, it's really tough to call, I feel a lot more confident about the Dodgers pick. Um, I'm probably going to pick the Astros just because I, I they've shown they can win a World Series. Granted, they haven't shown they can do it without blatant cheating. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I, I think they still have a lot of really good players. Altuve, Bregman, you know, Correa, the likes of them. You have to also mention their pitchers are still absolutely phenomenal. Um so I think on a player-by-player -player basis, I think they probably have a slight edge over the Rays. 
So I think we could see a Astros-Dodgers rematch, except this time I'm picking the Dodgers to get their revenge and repeat as World Series champions. Yeah, I I could I could see that happening. I mean, AL, I mean, for me, who knows? I want to say the Yankees, but I don't know if I can really say that without being biased because, as, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, as great as Garrett Cole's been for us pitching-wise, he's had moments where he'll have a clunker and you don't really want that from your race, much less somebody that you're paying $350 million to. So there's that. But otherwise, pitching's been up and down. I don't know how that's going to get us through, but, you know, the bullpen did improve. I know Chapman's Chapman's looked a little bit better as of late. They now have Luis Severino emerging as a new late inning option. He somehow came back after missing nearly all the season with his injury. So he could be a good weapon. If Judge and Stanton can get their bats going in October, then who knows? Anything can happen. I mean, I don't think the Rays are unbeatable. Like they're yeah. they've got a good lineup. Don't get me wrong, but they lo- losing Ground Chuck and Blake Snell is probably going to end up hurting them if they don't go too far in the playoffs. Same same could be said about Glasnow too. That that injury was a killer. So I don't want to say the Astros, but. Yeah, very, very likely. And as far as the NL goes, as much as I'm tempted to say the Dodgers based on pure talent, I feel like the Giants are kind of being forgotten about because that's another team that over the course of this past decade, they know how to win. Like, you still have a lot of holdovers from the 2010s winning teams. You still have Buster Posey. You still have Brandon Crawford, who by the way, as a shortstop, I really wish the Yankees could have signed when he was a free agent, but I, I knew they were, I knew that was going to be a pipe dream. He, and he, if the, if the giants were smart, the, you knew they were not going to let him go. He, he's a great shortstop, a good lefty bat too. And, you know, you've got a lot of guys like Evan Longoria still producing. I, gosh, I thought that guy was like declining. It's great to see him back all of a sudden. And then you look at their pitching you got Dee Sclafani and Kevin Gossman who have, had career years whether that's sustainable for them in the long term is an entirely different debate and i don't know if that's possible but can they make a deep run in the playoffs that i i think yes why not i i'm I'm gonna say the giants honestly for the nl and you know that's a perfectly reasonable pick you know buster posey's still there he has that uh championship winning experience also got to give a nice shout out to the uh, philadelphia phillies firing gabe kapler you know, he goes over, <laughs> go, go, goes over to the Giants, instantly makes them the surprise team of the season, you know, 100-win season from a team that, let's be honest, I don't think anyone would have thought they even make the playoffs before the year. And, you know, they're one of the best teams in the entire MLB. Um, Kevin Gosman, you know, if you thought he was going to be, you know, a sub-three ERA pitcher before the year, I, I would have called you a liar. He's always been a decent guy. But I think Kapler's just gotten the absolute maximum out of that team. And, um Hey, Tom, you Braves are looking solid, man. I got to give a a uh, condolences to your Mets. I don't know what happened. But, uh, yeah, man, uh, the Giants could definitely do it. I just think, you know, the Dodgers are a little less um, of a uh, question mark, if you will. I mean, I know it's crazy to say that about the Giants, but they still have to show something to me, you know. What are you going to do in the playoffs? Um, but I think the uh, Giants definitely could do it. Um, but the AL, I think, is a toss-up. I really don't want the Astros to win it because, honestly, I hate them. But uh, 
they're just they are a good team. I do have to give them some credit. And I think the Rays, like you mentioned, have lost a few guys. Um, I think Kevin Cash has still done a really good job for them to get what are they ninety seven and sixty right now, something like that. So phenomenal once again from the Rays. Um, you know, but I I feel sorry for him as well. All that winning yet, there's only like two guys in the stands. Uh, they need to get that sorted out. Yeah, I. I think if they'd played in like downtown Tampa as opposed to like St. Petersburg, I think they'd probably be better off. But again, that's another topic of debate that I could probably do for another episode. And before I go, my mom has another comment. Cole and Chapman, excellent, but not flawless. I don't disagree with that whatsoever. I think that is absolute true statement. Well, Noah, I want to just once again, say thank you again for joining me today. It's been a lot of fun talking to different sports with you over the past few weeks and pretty much getting to know you and know about Atlanta sports too. And I think the, it should be an interesting run for both of our teams. We'll see if the Braves can somehow find a way to upset Milwaukee. It's not going to be easy, but who knows? And as for the Yankees, that's, that's a roller coaster that you cannot predict. (laughs) But before we end the show, I do want to ask you to do me one favor. Can you please plug yourself? Tell our viewers where we can find you. Of course, man. Over in the sports box, uh, you know, with guys like Brian, all of them. Um, really, really awesome guys over there. Um, friends of Reby and Preview as well. I know they come on a lot. I've come on a few times now. But I'm on the Sweet Tea Show on the sports box Friday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern time um, with my guy, Garth Michael Patrick. Big Georgia fan. He's a big Florida fan. So, you know, we go out all the time. But we mainly talk about college football, NFL football. Um, do a few other sports every now and then, but as, as you can probably tell, I do talk a lot. So, you know, we kind of have these ridiculously long shows. I uh, kind of need to start getting some cliff notes for these, I think. But, uh, <laughs> hey, hey, man, it, it was a lot of fun to come on. Uh, hopefully I can come on again in the future. The Braves, you know, managed to do something. If not, you know, it's cool. Hopefully we'll be, be back next season. But uh, it was an absolute blast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. No problem. And, of course, before I go, it's time to – Time for me to do my own plugs. As I said, please do not forget. If you like what you saw, please do not forget to give us a follow on all of our social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. That was Noah Dibler of the Sports Box coming on to talk some Atlanta Braves. Folks, once again, you have watched another episode of Hidden for the Cycle. Until next Wednesday, I'm your host, Hank and Dichter, and we will see you next week.